I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specializes in equity capital market transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor, and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raises, please send them your details via an email to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention the BIP show in your message. Now, on with the show. How are you now? You're listening to the all-new BIP Show, Season 4, Episode 4. Uh, wow, BIP is for business investing and policy. That's what we're here to talk about. And I hope you do like the new and amazing retro music that we've got kicking off the start of the show, which you would have just heard. Don't forget to hit subscribe, rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is generally nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Coincidentally, that is what I do. My name is James Whelan. I'm an investment manager at VFS Group. I run something called uh, the Global Macro Fund, which is just sort of in and out uh, for international stocks, and a nice little boutique place called VFS. Uh, I'm joined. Now, episode four of the fourth season is being recorded in and around Sydney in various places wherever people are on March the 17th. Uh, 2022. The time is 10.42. The market is absolutely booming along. We'll get to that in a second. I've got guests here. I've got Jessica Amir from Saxo. I've got Heath Moss from HLM. I'll introduce them properly in a bit. So just sit tight because first off, we've got a few things that are going on. Now I'm trying to change, uh, mix up this podcast a little bit as we go because some stuff has happened uh, over the last couple of days and last couple of weeks with regards to the building industry. Now, there's a lot that's that, that's been said about inflation. There's lots now that's being said about stagflation as well. Um, amazingly, the occurrences of the word stagflation being uh, used in articles have absolutely surged up to from more than 1,500 sources um, have used the, uh, used the word stagflation this week. Stagflation coming from a raising of interest rates, but also from a, 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 a restriction in growth, a, a slowing in growth, probably coming from the fact that inflation is so rampant. Now, we've seen two builders, two fairly significant builders in Queensland have collapsed, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for why they have collapsed and gone into liquidation. Just one yesterday, um, that was Condev, after ProBuild happened a couple of weeks ago. So Condev managed to go backwards. Now, we're looking at what we're looking at here. So we've seen, and this is the quote from the AFR yesterday, as the Queensland government moves to lure tradies north of the Tweed River sorry, to help with the rebuilding task after the floods, building industry groups said that there would, be a, not, there would not be a light at the end of the tunnel for people trying to lock in a builder this year. We've got timber, steel, concrete, labour, all of it's going up. Inflation in the US is at 40-year highs. Here, it's also a pretty a pretty hefty three and a half percent, more or less, whoever you ask. And we talk about inflation as if it's just a number, and sometimes we forget the actual impact that it's having on us. Again, another company connected to families went into liquidation yesterday. 
that's a big deal. That's a big deal for them and their families. We, we, it's often we post a meme about petrol prices and think that that's funny and we don't think about it again and we don't fill up the tank for a while and we don't actually think about the actual end users that, that, that have to do it and have to absorb it. So there's a lot of options that we could have. We could have an economist on here to talk about it and tell us it's transitory for two years, as, as everyone did, or a think tank mouthpiece on here to say it's transitory for two years as well and then blame Russia for it, as they've done this week. But I thought, you know what, it'd be great. We'll just go right into the weeds with this one. So along with some actual coalface advisors and coalface strategists at actual brokers, I've reached out to a mate of mine who runs a construction company. Um, they employ a few people, contract a few more, and if there's anyone who could actually tell us exactly what's going on at the coalface, it's going to be this bloke, Graham Howland of GVH Constructions, located uh, in Sydney. Uh, Graham, how are you now? Morning, James. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, for, thanks for joining us. So, mate, uh, I'm just having a look at this Condev um, situation up in Queensland, which I think we, we spoke about yesterday um, when, when the news came through, and this is after ProBuild. Uh, hit the wall a couple of weeks ago. So th- this this was staggering with regards to just how backwards its books went. In its last financial accounts for the year ended June 30, Rabina-based Condev swung to a pre-tax loss of 498000 from a year earlier $788,000 profit, even as yep. revenue rose 3% to $181.3 million. So the <laughs> revenue going up year on year 3%, and yet they managed to turn a a $780,000 profit into a half-million-dollar loss in a year. Graham, how does something like that happen from your perspective? Oh, mate, well, look, over 2021 with COVID um, and there's been a few major issues. There was massive fires in Queensland and so there was whole um, plantations of timber that we lost. Um, You then obviously have the COVID issue with transport and ships sitting on the sea for a lot longer. So things weren't coming in here. Costs of timber have, like, I priced some stuff up the other day. Um, compared to my 2019 price of around 3 bucks 80 a metre for some, you know, general 90 by 45s that we use on every job, hmm. we're now paying, like, $9.50. So, Sorry, so what, was, it's gone from what to what? About 380 a metre. To, um, about $9, $9.40, I think I paid the other day. Which just choked on my coffee. Keep going, sorry. Um, so, I mean, look, there's, there's those sorts of prices. Timber's basically doubled um, in the last year alone. But, I mean, since 2019, it's, you know, it's, it's gone up a, a huge amount. Um, so, materials themselves are being quite – are a lot more expensive. Um, you've then obviously got uh, – I mean, recently we've got fuel prices and, and, um, and transport costs which have gone up. But, but everything's gone up. Um, copper, steel. I mean, brass and brass and copper and things like that have gone up uh, nearly 60%, 70% um, in the last six months. Um, it's almost every two months we're getting another price rise on a lot of materials. Um, so for us, we've you know that hits us with plumbing, electrical, for your copper and your wires and things like that. So um, and how much? The contract that, yeah. a lot of it, but yeah. we you know I I, have, I do a from my side of things, I do a, a fixed cost price. So, you know, if you're on a million-dollar job and, you know, we're looking at maybe an 8 to 10% if we're running well, profit at the end of the job, mm. it's eaten up. Like it's, you know, a million-dollar job now is almost should be, we should be pricing about 1.1, 1.2. So, I mean, it really has gone up that, you know, 15 to 20% um, as, a, as an overall cost. I mean, labor's one thing. Um, but the, the real the real big increase has been in materials. 
So uh, that's absolutely so. The fixed rates side of thing. Now, I mean, talk to us. Talk to us like we're four years old, and you've got to explain the industry to us. And that's sort of what, what I want to do here. Why right, do so, some people go fixed, and why do some get to better pass it on? Okay, so most well, a lot of companies will give you a fixed lump sum quoted price for renovations or a new build, um, and so that the client knows what it is. They get the finance for that. You lock it in. Um, and and that's what it is. So, but you know, you're talking, you know, doing the sales pitch in say June of 21. You may not be starting that build until January 22 and finishing in June of 22. So, you know, there's 12 months between actually signing it. So, this is where where a lot of the like the, the larger home builders and things like that are now starting to if um, go back over their contracts. And if there's any, if there's any way that they can then go back to the owner and say, well, hang on, we need more money. Um, then they're doing that, but I mean they've got to obviously you know legally wise they've got to you know um, cross their cross their t's and dot their eyes and make sure that they can do that. Um, but that's and, and so they're suck, they've got to cop it on the ones that they have to deal with and that they've locked in and it's all been signed and done. Um, but that's where we're now they're now starting to push on um, onto the, the the owners that they want another eighty odd thousand dollars. An article I think last week where. Um, was it Metricon or, or one of the large home builders was asking, you know, for eighty odd thousand dollars from some clients extra mm. um, on a on a six eight hundred thousand dollar build? So, um, do you think do you think that you're going to see? And I've often joked with you just how easy it is for builders to just go, you know what, we're just going to we're just going to shut up shop and 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 close this one down and then restart as something else and and still get used because we still get the job. But but we're just we've buried that. We've buried that into administration, and we're just going to start a new thing over here. Do you, do you think that that's the sort of thing that we're going to see more of? Um, I, I don't know, um, to be honest. I, I don't know if people just shut up shop and then start again. Um, I think there are. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not quite sure on that one. That's all right. Um, are you um, are you being forecasted by your wholesalers on prices? Are they flagging any increases, or what have they communicated to you for the rest of 2022? I know that so I know you're typical Yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, so at the, at the moment, we're actually got some reasonably good supply. Um, funnily enough, um, quite a bit of it is actually coming in from Russia um, at the moment. And, uh, and <laughs> sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, well, we actually, we actually get quite a bit of timber from Russia. Okay. Um, and so we're actually getting a reasonable supply at the moment. Um, so that's forecasted to stay reasonable at least in the next three to six months. Um, but they are um, want, there's still going to be more price rises. Basically, it's not going to get it's not going the other way. I spoke to a mate last night who lives in New York. Um, he's told me a lot of the timber prices over there like skyrocketed and then have started to come back down again. That's not going to happen here. Um, they're they're going up and up and up. Um, but to be honest, I've been at a, a, a pretty steady rate for a lot of years, um, and I think I think there's a bit of the actual costs are going up, but I think there's also a fair bit of the industry going. Well, here's a great chance to to put everything up and actually, you know, um, bring the, the actual base cost of it up more than we we should to actually start to make some money and cover some of the losses that they have over the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, and we uh, I remember noticing last year when timber price, when lumber prices, I was talking about lumber futures going up and you said, yeah, look at these numbers and you showed me the communication that came through from your timber guys. Mm. And and then I pointed to the fact that lumber futures had, had erased all of its gains after that huge rally that even though lumber had actually come back down, the price of lumber at spot on the futures market, 
had come back down, you did not see any return. No, no, nothing. So there's no not backwards. They're, they're not. If the cost starts to go back down for them, they're still going to be charging the same amount. They're, they're not. They're not going to reduce it. Why would you? Yeah. And, and we we have such a, a, a strong market at the moment. Um, like there is such a um, a big demand for builders, especially in Sydney. Yeah. Um, at the moment, that um, residential and commercial, um, that you know, there there is just, there is just so much work that they're, they're not going to bring it down. They know that that we're going to pay for it. Yeah. So, and this is amazing that even though we've seen uh, approval numbers and construction numbers come down over the last couple of months, you're still got a huge demand, and you still have a huge demand for things. The cost of those yeah. things is going up and not set to go backwards at all. Labor yeah. is still in short supply. Yes, uh, absolutely. And like, you pay people more? Yeah. Um, I mean, look, it's very hard nowadays to, to not pay a minimum of about 300 to 350 for a day for a labourer. This, this is a guy that turns up on the bus, uh, no tools, um, gets told what to do, when to do it, and then goes home at the end of the day. And, I mean, that's, that's a, it's, a big, it's a big cost. I mean, from a couple of years ago where it may, may have been closer into the, uh, the mid-200s. Yeah. So, now... Um, um, mate, I've taken up enough of your time, but just quickly, what um, with the benefits of hindsight, how would you have protected yourself if you're one of these companies? Oh, yeah, um, look, I mean, a lot of it needs to be written into the contracts with it's only valid for 30 days or it's subject to material um, costs um, going up, um, okay. you know, throughout your contracts. That's really about the only way. I mean, there's there really was, it's all really been quite a, a big, you know, Shit show. You've had, had COVID, you've had floods, we've had fires. Um, you know, it's just, there's been a whole heap of things that have just brought it all, you know, all to a head. Now I'm going to find out more about getting this Russian timber as well because that's still a thing. But, mate, um, uh, so and are you stockpiling as much stuff as you can now when you can get it or is it, is it actually uh, a shortage of stuff? Uh, no, so the, the, the supply chain at the moment is actually reasonably good for, for lumber. We're still <laughs> finding steel is a little um, delayed in getting things. Um, certainly, I mean, even plumbing equipment, taps, toilets, you know, um, we ordered a toilet in November last year. It wasn't due until gen- mid-January. It didn't turn up till February. You know, thankfully, we didn't need it till then. But, um, you know, that's a, long, that's a long time to have something that really used to be off the shelf. Yep. Um, thank you for your time, Graham Howland of GVH Constructions. Mate, if you want to hang around, then you can. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to let you go. Will do. Thanks very much. Enjoy Have a good one, mate. Uh, get a beer later on, okay? Will do. All right. Now, uh, I'm joined by – that was really fascinating, actually. I'm joined by Jessica Ramirez, uh, Aussie market strategist for Saxo Markets, and Heath Moss from HLM Investments. Uh, contractually, I'm, I'm obliged to have at least one South Australian on the show every <laughs> month. Uh, Jess and Heath, how are you now? Good very morning. Good, thank you. Okay. Now, wasn't that fascinating? It yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, really? I actually had heard that Russia stuff uh, in 2020 when um, we uh, there was a big shortage, obviously, of lumber then, and I heard um, an interview with a builder, and they said they were actually importing most of our uh, lumber from uh, Russia at the moment. So uh, I'd actually heard that before. <laughs> so that's I, I, whatever. Anyway, so this, uh, I, 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 it might be one of those things where just don't talk about it because the building industry depends on it so much that even exactly, if yeah. That um, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin Graham's job by by blowing up about Russian timber. So um, 
Jessica, based on what you've just heard and also your own knowledge around the traps, what what do you see as being the future for the Australian economy based on based on that, what you've heard? But what's your, what is your take on the Australian economy for the rest of the year and going into 2023? Uh, well, Aussies um, uh, have been adjusting their portfolios and haven't we seen that? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so in fact, factoring in uh, the mess that... Um, that Graham and yourself were touching on, so we're expecting um, we're expecting record inflation. Um, no surprises. We saw that in Europe announced last week. So record unprecedented inflation. So the next thing is uh, we've got rising rates. So another R. So the US Fed mapped out rate rises. We've already heard from the RBNZ. Late comer, uh, the RBA. Uh, is expected to come to the party. So we're expecting five rate rises here in Australia and for rates to pop uh, as high as uh, uh, almost 1.4%. So we've got a rising uh, inflation, rising rates, and then all of this, uh, because of what Graham alluded to, uh, it's it's trickling down to businesses. So, um, and it's likely to cause not just a stagflation, but possibly a recession. And I think what the market is also grappling with is that uh, GDP, uh, we know that central banks have forecasted that GDP is going to slow next year. So you look at the scenario that the RBA has tabled, they're expecting pretty slow growth in 2023, 2%. Take out inflation, what are you left with? Well, you're not really left with much. So it's pretty hard uh, for businesses. Um, and um, the bottom line is how that translates uh, when the rubber hits the road to equity. So broad equity valuations, they're under siege. So, um, I mean, you heard that from, from Graham, and we're seeing that on the equity market too. That's why we're continuing to see money come out of tech, anything that's high valuation, and it's going into those commodity sectors. Uh, and the second thing is um, mega caps are also favoured at the moment uh, and monopolies because of high inflation, record inflation. Productivity is is pretty low as well. We're seeing labour shortages as well. Uh, but Pricing power favours those big monopolies. So there's lots to factor in, but uh, more or less because of slowing global growth, possible recession, um, yeah, we are going to see uh, equity valuations squeezed considerably. Just get reset. Now looking at sort of just from an international side of things, I've got a little stat here that came through from the uh, the FRED, um, which is a nice handy little website, but every... I'm looking at this. Has inflation, the question was asked, has, has inflation ever come down meaningfully without a recession once it breaches 5%? No, it has not. So mm. recessions happen without inflation going up, but every time inflation in the States goes over 5%, there has to be a recession behind it for it to come back down. Um, that's, yeah. a big, that's a big deal. Yep, yep, absolutely. And and markets are definitely uh, factoring that in. And then the other thing that's really interesting is um, uh, I it sometimes it doesn't make make uh, make a lot of sense to a lot of people, uh, but um, we're seeing the yield curve flatten. Uh, what does that mean? It's basically a, a little a little uh, line that's no longer squiggly, um, and it's basically what um, what uh, what some nerds like uh, me and perhaps some of you guys uh, look at, and it's an early indication that we are probably like to see 
uh, a recession. And this is why we're seeing um, investors back gold as well. Not only just, just because of what you just said, uh, James, and what we've already talked about, but margins are getting squeezed. Um, and in this environment, when we do have a probable recession, money also favours gold. And gold has historically outperformed uh, equities since 1972, every single rate rise. So that's another thing that we are factoring in. Yeah, I noticed that. It's, uh, I'm just having a look at your note here, which is which is lovely. Thank you for sending that through as well. Uh, commodities. <laughs> and then I'm going to open it up to, to Heath as well. Your commodities plays, your best picks, where you think based on what's happened, this nonsense that's happened. Keep in mind that this is fresh and, and we should be up on into people's ears probably later today. So keep it fresh, boys and girls. Beautiful. Well, yeah. <laughs> Heath, you go first, mate. Did you, did you want to chat about what happened in China um, yesterday? No, do you want to go? Let's do commodities first. Okay. Actually, actually, we'll do commodities first, then we'll go to China first. Stop going off, okay. off script, okay? We'll go off script. <laughs> when I say we go off script, we go off script, okay? I only, I only said it because uh, it's sort of all interrelated, but uh, my, my big pick for the year is, is, is um, copper, um, anything copper-related. Um, obviously, BHP is my favourite in that sector, um, closely followed by uh, something like a sandfire. I know it's uh, under performed in the last uh, probably uh, few months after its uh, profit report. Mm. But I think it's just providing a better opportunity. The next 24 months for that company is going to be transformational after their uh, Matza takeover. Um, and then, of course, you've got some of the smaller guys, uh, guys like um, Copper Mountain. Uh, their codes are C6C, um, which produce around uh, fifty to 60,000 tonnes of copper a year. So uh, they're probably my favourite uh, picks in the uh, commodity space at the moment. Jessica, you got any uh, specials in commodities that you haven't mentioned? Uh, well, um, I don't know how big or small you want to go, but um, in the big end of town, yeah, absolutely. We know BHP quite intimately. Yeah. Uh, we, we do think uh, that they are undervalued, not just because of uh, the iron ore pullback, uh, but we are seeing uh, high highs in the iron ore price, and we think that there's uh, a chance that the iron ore price will get back to $177, uh, possibly next month. So that supports profitability for BHP, given that that's the bulk of their revenue, yeah. not just BHP, but also Rio. Uh, BHP also a uh, fairly hefty um, revenue maker in copper as well, uh, but they are pivoting to uh, potash, which I think is quite favourable given the world's palate for less meat. Uh, but I also do think um, Champion Iron CIA is probably the most undervalued pure play um, uh, iron ore stock in the market. Um, it's not only uh, myself that I think thinks it's attractive. Um, 100% of the brokers that actually cover CIA think it's uh, bang on the money. But I also uh, am quite interested in um, – uh, look, despite uh, oil and coal pulling back um, because of China's uh, slowdown, I do think uh, that uh, that coal and oil will offer uh, upside, not just this year, but for next. Um, and that's um, reinforced by the EIA saying that we've got anemic supply. And I think that some people just forget this. Um, so to that end, I do see further upside Um in uh, in Whitehaven Coal and Woodside Petroleum, yep. um, I also think uh, with Woodside Petroleum they've got opportunities of uh, of scale. They inked a thirty year um, LNG deal, 
uh, accessing cheap LNG from the US for the next 30 years. So I think that bodes well for Woodside. Also, they're taking over BHP's petroleum assets. They've definitely got scale on their side and uh, supply is not an issue. So I think that they'll continue to do well and their margins will increase. So no. Whitehaven and WPL. Not bad at all. Good tips there. The, uh, now let's talk about some other stuff. I've been saying for a fair chunk of the latter half of last year, and a few people have been as well, that China was going to ramp back up to 110% production as soon as the flame went out at the Winter Olympics. Um, that that seemed to be a bit distracted because of what happened in Ukraine. Thanks a lot, Putin, um, for distracting everyone from my amazing call. It seems like that might actually be the case. It seems like, and I was just seeing David Scott tweeted uh, a little something this morning talking about coal production in China being right back up to China's total raw coal production has has is booming back on again. And this is from Macquarie um, and really does look like it's spiking up. Now let's talk about China because you wake up you wake up this morning and if you hadn't checked the news yesterday afternoon, the Ping Duo Duo, which I hate, uh, which I sold a little while ago, is back to it was up 42%, putting it back to where it was last Thursday, just showing you how much it's come off. Heath, I know that you're a yep. keen China follower. Um, WTF happened in China, man. Uh, the uh, aftermarket yesterday, the, uh, the state, uh, the government came out with a, a bit of commentary after their economic meeting, um, basically saying, um, look, they're, they're pledging to keep uh, capital markets stable, uh, mm. so their own stock market, and obviously probably Hang Seng, because we've mm. seen a lot of volatility over there recently. Um, they're, they're looking to support their overseas stock listings. So this is important because there's been a bit of pressure on um, Chinese ADRs listed in the US. There's... Um, uh, five that were named that they want, uh, well, they're basically saying they're in breach of their listing rules because they're not opening their books, allowing US auditors to come in and uh, order their books, um, which again, uh, obviously is against Chinese legislation itself. Uh, only Chinese auditors are allowed to look at uh, the Chinese company's books, so there's a bit of a conflict there. But uh, they've basically come out and said they're going to support their overseas listings and there's strong and positive dialogue with the US regarding their ADRs. So there was a fear that, you know, these companies and, and potentially some of the larger ones like yeah, Alibaba, Bidu, there's uh, $1.1 trillion worth of Chinese stocks listed in the US. Mm. We're going to be forced to delist over the next three years. So yeah. that would have uh, created a lot of uphe- upheaval. But the commentary uh, yesterday uh, was quite positive and we saw the uh, Hang Seng Tech Index jump uh, quite remarkably 22% after being slammed the last two weeks. Um, so, yeah, the other comments were regards to property developers just handling risk there and keeping things in check there. Yeah. Um, and they're, uh, also their uh, their regulation of big tech um, will end soon. They're, yeah. they're focused and their spotlight on big tech will end soon. So tech got a double uh, double tick there and uh, um, tech stocks in the Hang Seng and in China reacted accordingly. Now, mate, you know that I hate... Sorry, once I once I've exited a space, I treat it like a like a like a jilted ex girlfriend who's yeah. my car. I I have a lot, of, <laughs> a great deal. Hello, Angie, if you're listening as well. <laughs> the, um, Jessica liked that. I think there's been a few there's been a few keys keys across cars in all of our lives. I think guys, it's a, it's part of the business. totally. <laughs> the, um, I, I I have a lot of trouble. Really hesitant to charge back into the space. What 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 do you think the best way of getting back into it? If you do want to have a bit of a, a look back into the space. Heath and Jessica, if you've got any tips on that, what, of, of accessing China is sort of a big broad way of doing it without picking and choosing. So for me, um, uh, I am uh, 
purely ASX focused with my clients. So um, my best bet and best exposure comes from the Beta Shares uh, Tech Tigers ETF under the code Asia. Um, it's about uh, almost eight dollars at the moment. It's bounced quite consider- considerably this morning on the back of that news yesterday. Because remember, it happened after market, and that contains the big Chinese tech guys, um, Alibaba, Bidu, JD Sports, etc. It's ex Japan too. So, um, but you're also getting um, quite a bit of exposure to South Korea and Taiwan as well. There's quite a large semiconductors exposure in there, about twenty to twenty five percent of it is semiconductors. Yep. So that thing. That ETF's fallen, I think it got as high as $15 or $16 uh, per, per share. That fell as low as about $6 um, recently. It's now back up to 8 But if you're looking longer term and you, and you think things are going to settle down in the tech space in Asia, then I think that's the best place to park your money on the ASX. Nice. Jessica, you got anything that you, uh, that you would use to leverage this Chinese tech company boom? Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, believe it or not, uh, we actually have been quite conservative um, on on the Hang Seng in taking a taking a long term view, um, because uh, it's it's just uh, it's just not really tame. Um, <laughs> how yeah, that's, that's speaking very quietly. Yeah, it's it's all over the shop. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but look, there are some opportunities, and we think uh, we think those companies with stronger balance sheets. Um, will probably be a bit more favourable. Um, and uh, on the, um, I think on the property space, it is quite interesting. Look, we spoke about property at the open. I, I think uh, we like those uh, property stocks, believe it or not. Uh, this is a bit controversial uh, that have got uh, a bit cleaner balance sheets. So I think it's uh, Country Garden Holdings uh they're one of the the biggest property developers. But believe it or not, they've they've got one of the uh, the tighter uh, credit ratings compared to the other property developers. And I think there's expectation. Um, it's not just us seeing this, but there's further expectation that the PBOC, uh, the Central Bank of China, will cut rates again. So we've seen three rate uh, cuts. Uh, we're expecting more rate cuts um, because China will probably do everything they can, beg, borrow, or steal to get that 5.5% growth. So I think uh, property developers dicey, um, but I think if you take a long-term view, uh, there could be some gains uh, in in that space. Um, not really attracted to uh, tech, unfortunately, um, just because of the high interest rate environments. Uh, globally uh but i think uh in china there are some tech plays that 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 could be of interest uh 10 cent is probably uh one that we like yeah well i i had joked yesterday in the middle of the day that 10 cent was changing its name to five cent um, <laughs> based on where the stock price has gone and we all had a good laugh about that and then a couple of hours later I've been completely blown up at it it's the, the unwind of shorts um not that i'd ever be short any of these things because of the volatility but uh, the unwinding of shorts mixed in with the support behind it, mixed in with just how far and how deeply undervalued theoretically these things are, really has 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 caused this incredible layering on there. I still think if I was going to play the pipes and plumbing, I still think that that Hong Kong exchange uh, is probably, I think it's 388 is the stock code over in Hong Kong. Um, that's probably the best way of gaining access, access to it. That's the pipes and plumbing. I love buying exchanges. Again, I had to cut it. It was just it was just bleeding way too much, and uh, and that's sort of how that had to go, had to happen. Um, right. If I was going to do something, now I'm just talking about the the argument here. 
if China does seem, and then, and then I think I'll wrap it up with a couple of other things, but if China does seem to be aligned with Russia in any way or if they make moves towards Hong Kong, the big risk going into the end of this year and into next year is that fund managers and investors alike and everyone and, and, and ETF managers are going to need to unwind their Chinese positions just purely because that's now the stock standard thing that happens when sanctions come in. We saw that happen with Russia. We will see it happen with China if anything happens in that space, potentially. I know that there's big positions, but, you know, if, if you want to make a stance, you make a stance. So I've been saying for the last few, well, about the last, well, the last few weeks that a big part of the reason why China's getting sold off is because no fund manager wants to be left holding the bag if, if, it is, if it is proven correct that China has actually been helping Russia in some way. You get left holding the bag with these stocks and everyone else is out finding their way to the exit. That's a bit of a situation. What we might see now is a short squeeze in Chinese stocks mixed in with some offloading of sales from people who still don't want to get left holding the bag, potentially. That's, that's, there's going to be a bit of a battle on this one. So you've got Chinese funny money versus forced selling. That's potentially what we see ahead of us. However, if I'm wrong, and I hope that I am, uh, China will rally and everyone will be happy. Heath? Yeah, it's it comes back to that old adage we saw in 2020 and 21 is you for me you don't fight the central banks and at the moment the Chinese central bank is being quite accommodative mm. along with along with the state government. So mm. you don't want to fight that and if they want to support their their economy um and uh, their their tech sector etc then that's that's what's going to happen and they will hit that 5.5% GDP mark. You know, I've never seen Chinese miss their forecasts. Um, so I'm I'm all for getting behind them and and uh, um, getting behind these tailwinds. And obviously, like we spoke, I spoke about tech before. Um, I don't think we will see that Russia sort of Chinese sanctions situation come out. I actually believe from the commentary that's coming out of Ukraine and Russia at the moment, it's it's very positive. I think we're going to see that wind up over the next couple of months. Um, not to say Russia will, you know, pull totally out, but um, it will no longer be a, a, a volatile conflict. Um, so I don't think we'll see that. But like you said, we've already seen heavy sell-offs in Hang Seng and in China. And yeah. I think fund managers were taking that into account. Okay, if China are going to stand behind Russia and support them, then, you know, the US and UK, et cetera, may come along and, and place sanctions on China. Yeah. But I don't think the US wants to really fight two fronts as well. I don't think they want to be placing sanctions and fighting Russia because those sanctions, I think, we're going to stick around for a while on Russia and then also fight China as well because they've already, you get to remember, they've already, already got some trade sanctions on as well from the Trump era that were never rolled back. No, so no. Um, there's already uh, some tightening there. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all behind and, and going with the flow when it comes to China and their central bank and fiscal stimulus. All right. So- yeah, go on, Jess. Yeah, sorry, James. Uh, yeah, so look, I'm rub hitting the road. Uh, the biggest two stocks on the ASX, BHP, Rio. So, I mean, there's no two ways about it. I don't think these guys are going to remove anything from Russia. Why? 66% of BHP's revenue goes to China. There's no way in hell that BHP is going to jeopardise their future or the future of the ASX. Yeah. Completely change everything, right? Yeah. So that's not going to happen. So, and then you think about Rio. I mean, Rio, uh, and then don't even get me started on FMG, Fortescue Metals. So Rio, they send uh, 57% 
of their iron ore to China. FMG um, is pretty heavy in China. So there's there's no two ways about it that this is going to affect the top 10 stocks mm. on the ASX uh, or, for the most part, the Aussie share market. So for retailers uh, who don't invest mm. in fund managers directly or uh, pick their own ETFs, i.e. the China Tiger, uh, I, I don't think that they're going to find a hard time. So, yeah, getting back to um, FMG, Fortescue Metals, the third biggest iron ore player, uh, 90% of their revenue comes from China. So I don't think um, this is going to filter down uh, to companies. Okay, okay. Now, I actually, oh, sorry. I was actually going to say uh, lithium as well. Yeah, um, just hold on a second yeah. because I'm going, to get, I'm going to get to lithium. I'm just I'm just going to do this really quickly and then I'll come back with one last stat and then we'll wrap up, okay? So the, the, no worries. You, you're going to love this stat that I'm going to throw at you too. It's, it's, it's just phenomenal. One second. Uh, this show brought to you by Bridge Street Capital Partners, Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specialises in equity capital markets, transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, Primarily in mining, energy, tech sectors, uh, pretty hot right now, obviously. Sophisticated investors who want to hear about Bridge Street's upcoming capital raises, please send your details to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au. They have been loving some of the feedback that you've been sending them. Um, please just drop your email and uh, and let them know that you listen to the BIP show and that that's what you do. Now, I've got a stat for years both um search results for electric vehicles are up 40 percent in the last month heath i know you were just about to say something go yeah i think um uh, lithium is also obviously that uh, great exposure you can get to china they're soaking up most of uh what uh, we can uh, produce in terms of lithium here in australia and there was uh, concerns especially at the start of the year especially uh, myself as well we're worried about um extra supply coming on um in the second half of this year and and dampening that uh, price that uh, spot price well at the moment the spot price in china for hydroxide lithium hydroxide is still sitting between 70 and 80,000 dollars um, a, a ton over mm. there. I know comparatively in 2020, 2021, you know, it was, you know, sub 20,000, close to 10,000 um, at one point when the world uh, locked up. So you can see the absolute massive drive there over there they they've got for electric vehicles uh they want to be uh, t- by 2025 i think it is they want 20 percent of their cars sold to be electric so um and the amount of battery capacity that's coming online on yeah uh, we don't simply don't have the lithium to support it so mm. i'm now seeing until 25 26 2025 2026 a, a shortage in, in lithium supply um and we've got problems over in south america as well and environmental um argentina's been in drought for a long time uh the, their own state governments over there are quite hesitant to allow more water to be drawn out of the water tables over there and to, to produce lithium from brines it requires a lot a lot of water i can't remember the actual stat but it was like two million uh, gigat uh, gigalitres or something for one tonne of lithium carbon. Yeah, yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. So you're going to see uh, uh, governments over there be quite hesitant to issue more licences there for new projects and to increase production. So I think um, spodumene and hard rock lithium here in Australia is really the place to go. So I'm looking at companies like Mineral Resources and they've also got um, the iron ore exposure, although it is lower grade iron ore exposure. They have um, two very large spodumene um, mines that will produce around 750,000 tonnes 
of the uh, product in the next couple of years uh, per annum. And they're also looking to value add with hydroxide plants, um, which will eventually be around 80,000 tonnes um, uh, a year by 2028. Um, and then you've got Alkeem, which is the merger of uh, Galaxy and um, uh, Oracobra. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Their, their last report, their report was okay, but it's all about the next two years for them. Um, there's about 25,000 tonnes more um, uh, lithium carbonate coming online from them, funnily enough, from their South American projects in Argentina. Um, but the, the licences and that have all been wrapped up for that, and they're, they're pretty close to coming online. Um, but they've also got their uh, James Bay um, hard, hard Rock uh, up in Canada, that project up in Canada, which come back, come online by 20, late 2023, 20 um, which will produce around 300,000 tonnes of, of spodumene, 6% product as, as well. So, And then finally, you've got uh, Pilbara Minerals here in South, uh, not South Australia, in uh, Western Australia, uh, producing around 700 to 800,000 tonnes at full capacity. Um, the good thing is all of their prices have been suppressed over the last month or so. Um, they've all come off, you know, 10 to 20%. I mean, uh, in the case of uh, Pilbara, it hit a high of around $3.80 is now two dollars seventy um so there's been a good discount there and i'm I'm happy to start moving money back into the space given that the scenario in china isn't changing they're looking to ramp it up Uh, the eu is looking to ramp it up um as well and uh even even the us i mean there's there's comments and pushes from the government's uh uh, certain government agencies over there to try and um sort of pull back and and not allow more fossil fuel drilling etc so um the the full focus over the next few years is going to be uh, about that, those electric vehicles. It, it really will be. Jessica, have you got anything specific in the lithium space that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, no, just basically echoing uh, the the uh, undersupply, yet that's that's common knowledge across the industry. It's not just... Um, it's not just affecting uh, the lithium price, but it's also EV makers now. So uh, VW yesterday announced that they've sold out one, uh, totally of one of their EV models for the year. Uh, but I think um, I just in urge listeners to think about uh, with high highs expected in the oil price, you've got to think about, yes, lithium is quite hot right now, but uh, given rates are rising um, and oil prices are likely to bounce back up, I think that people should consider looking for EV players that are closer to uh, closer to the chain of, of where they're going to sell uh, their product to. So that's why I prefer um, producers who are in the Huhu province of Argentina. Uh, that is uh, the, uh, the highest concentration of uh, lithium in the world, uh, and that's where all the big boys are, like Gang Feng, that's the world's one of the world's biggest suppliers of lithium, and then you've also got Albemarle, which is yeah. uh, another big supplier. But um, AKE is probably one of our favourites. Uh, that was what was touched on, um, and they sell uh, about sixty-four percent of their um, of their lithium to Asia, believe it or not. Um, and then a little one next door. Um, is uh, Lake Resources. So they just recently got into the um, ASX 300 um, and I think that they are making extraordinary gains. Uh, So their shares are up uh, at a record all-time high as we speak. So um, they're the small underdog uh, next to um, AKE and uh, Gang Feng and Lithium America. 
Brilliant. Well, look, thanks for that. We're just a little bit over time, uh, so we're not going to be able to touch on uh, some of the other stuff, but that was a pretty uh, that was a pretty good run. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore Bip underscore show. And on Facebook too, for some reason, um, I don't know why we are. But Google Wheel and Capital, I've got my website. That's where I put the show and any other notes. Jess and uh, Heath, please send me your notes. Um, now, thank you for joining us, Graham. You've actually been hanging around, mate. I hope you got some good uh, some good tips there. Thank you, mate. It's lovely to listen to you guys. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Um, Heath, <laughs> thanks so much, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks very, uh, very much for having me on. Brilliant. And Jessica, thank you so much. First time on the show and, uh, and you killed it. Thank you. Thank you, James. Absolute <laughs> no pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Um, Jessica is at, I think it's Jessica D. Amir. Um, it's, her, it's her Twitter. Heath is HeathMoss83. I'm James Whelan42. Uh, this show is produced by a bunch of drunk monkeys. Um, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.